my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with the global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. Welcome to another episode of Five Things Nursing. And today we welcome Dr. Karen Davies, who is going to talk to us about medication safety. And Karen is currently the Nurse Research Fellow at Heidi, which is the Hurston Infectious Disease Institute. And the reason she's speaking to us about medication safety is that she's normally the Safe Medication Practice Clinical Nurse Consultant here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. And this was the topic of her PhD. Welcome, Karen. Thank you for having me. I'm always uh, really excited to have someone that's thought so much about a topic coming on as a guest to discuss it. I, I realised in prep for this that uh, we crossed paths probably about 10 years ago now. So uh, that that time went really, really quickly from when I was working here as a nurse educator. So it's great to have come full circle and be sitting at the table with you. In the spirit of that, obviously lots happened in that 10 years, but winding back a little bit further, what's your backstory in nursing? So I was hospital trained here at the Royal. And so in in those days, we, we got the opportunity to experience lots of different areas around the hospital, you know, theatres and wards and babies. The children's was part of our training as well. So, you know, lots of different experience, which was, you know, Fantastic. I went on to work in the wards for a bit and then I went to the emergency department for a year, which I loved, but um, doing the full-time shift work got a little bit, you know, hectic and I ended up going to the hemodialysis unit, got Sundays off and didn't do (laughs) night duty, so it was fabulous. But it also, you know, um, had the opportunity where it was, uh, there was a lot of technicality um, involved with looking after the patients and the machines and they had a lot of complex medications and things. So it was really interesting uh, work in the hemodialysis unit. So I was there and I was the nurse unit manager there for 12 years. So I worked in renal for 20 years. And uh, and then this opportunity came up to, to look at accreditation, safety, safety roles and I was um, fortunate to be able to set up the safety and quality roles across the hospital as a project and the medication safety role. And at the end of that, I went into the medic- continued in the medication safety role, um, safe medication practice, we called it. And, uh, and I've been doing that for 19, nearly 20 years. And so, yeah, so that's where my love of medication safety came in. You talk a bit more about that. Wonderful. It's such an interesting area and it doesn't matter who you are in the multidisciplinary team, this has got real relevance because medication is such a big part of hospitals and such a big part of risk. So let's just dive straight into it. Your number one is communicating about medication is really important verbally and written. Yes. So obviously uh, if we're going to be giving medications, they need to be documented uh, in the first place. We have to start there. 
Uh, for prescribing, we need to make sure that it's clear, it's correct, um, it's precise, it's legible, uh, all of those things. And we're fortunate that we've got some national standards around that or what are acceptable abbreviations these days, what might have been acceptable in the past. There's potential that we've learnt lessons over the years that there's things that may lead to errors, what we call error-prone abbreviations, and we try and avoid those sorts of things and standardise those things so that um, everybody knows what something means instead of uh, people trying to guess what, what that interpretation might be. And so we've moved, we've come a long way over the years that we now, we wouldn't accept unclear prescriptions um, that potentially could lead us to those things and we, we have much better um, and less risk in doing so. There's a lovely quote that the worst thing about communication is the illusion that it's happened. Um, and this is a really good example of that. So there's an order given and then that's the illusion that that transaction's complete from one perspective of it. There's the reception of that order and interpretation of that order. There's so many faulty, leaky bits down the pipeline between the the decision to give a medication to a patient and the diagnostic thinking that's gone into it and the patient safely re- receiving that medication that is not going to cause a problem for them. You've sort of talked about that that starting point with the prescription is obviously an essential component. There are a number of cases due to the type of work and the members of a multidisciplinary team working in parallel rather than together a lot of the time that can end up with situations where there isn't someone present to order the medication. So we'll look at things like a verbal order and stuff. What are some of the practice issues with that and some of the workarounds and safety controls that can be put in place with that? Yes, clearly having verbal orders and and phone orders, they can potentially lead to to errors or misinterpretation. So we have a standard where we have two nurses listen to the order and read back to the the prescriber over the phone what what the first nurse has written down and heard uh, to make it clear that they've actually been documented and heard correctly. So there are strategies to to deal with that, but we we do recommend, especially in high-risk medicines, that they're avoided as much as possible. Even in the um, medical emergency situation, there's always someone documenting what's, you know, even if it is a verbal, there's someone documenting what that is. But there is a a great risk, as you say, apart from that, what's perceived as, as being ordered, we know that there's a great number of medications that are omitted. And Deaths related to medications, 30% of those are actually that the patient didn't get what they were expected to get. This has been an area of interest for me, I suppose, that spun out of simulation and kind of looking at systems and reproductions of how systems work. And one of the things I found fascinating was this phenomenon of um, cognitive priming when we're double checking something and we're not actually double checking it. We're being primed by the way that the person's asked us to check something. And that's one with phone orders that I really wanted to make sure that the listeners were really clear on what you'd said, which is actually the loop being the prescriber articulate the order to one nurse and then the other nurse articulate that order back to the prescriber to do the check rather than um, rather than independently listening to it. So having a process that avoids that going, hey, can you look at my 60 milligrams of Clexane um, that I've now primed you to see 60 milligrams of Clexane? And that's a real phenomenon, especially in a busy environment. And a funny thing about the literature on that is the more we trust our colleagues, the more likely we are to be primed to see what they've just told us. 
Absolutely. And that's something that we, we do when we're giving education is to try not to prime the person and to do um, um, and not say that and, and say, you know, can you check my medication so that they don't know what that medication is and they actually have to look at it and read it because, as you say, it primes them to, to expect to see that and maybe not they may not read it properly. Uh, so it is a very important point. We've kind of moved from throughout most of the world to giving medications. It's being typed into a computer system or some sort of program. Is there anything that we need to be aware about in terms of that and communication? Yes. So uh, when we're going from computer to computer and patient to patient, we may end up actually having the wrong patient screen open, uh, which is a, a, a great risk that um, the wrong patient will get something because we're looking at the wrong chart. And that can happen in the paper environment as well. You know, a chart might be put back at the wrong end of the bed and unless someone's checking the the, the patient, um, that certainly can um, still be an error and get the, getting the wrong patient. And we know that 65% of the time, patient ID is not checked correctly and that's internationally. So it's quite horrifying really the great risk. We call wrong patient errors never events. We should never get the wrong patient. And we look at three identifiers, patient name, date of birth and hospital record number. All right. So your number two is the importance of involving the patient as a core member of the medication safety team. Tell us about that. I'm really passionate about this. It is so important that the patient is involved and part considered as part of the member of the team because they're the ones with the knowledge about their medications. They're the ones that are going to be going home, you know, managing their own medications. And we know that particularly for over 65-year-old patients, they 30% of hospital admissions are related to their medications and problems with that. And a lot of that would be misunderstanding. So it's really important that they're part of the team. If we don't use open questions when we're talking to them, we use closed questions, we don't ask them what their name is, they may not have their hearing aid in post-surgery and they may not hear us properly or they may have a language barrier and they may just nod when you say, are you Mary Jones? Uh, and they may nod their head not knowing what you've said or just agreeing and um, and then we can get the wrong patient. So it's really important. It's also when they come in, they may only remember one of their things that they're allergic to. But as time goes on, they might say, oh, well, I forgot to say that I'm actually allergic to this as well. So if we, when we're giving patients their medications like the, and we just say, here's your antibiotic, for example, they've got no idea what that is for them to be able to intervene and say, well, hang on a minute, uh, that's something I'm allergic to. Whereas if we say, here's your flucloxacillin, they may say, oh, hang on a minute, is that like penicillin because I'm allergic to penicillin? And they've got that opportunity to be their own advocate uh, and to speak up and be informed. Another example of that I've seen is patients have um, come in, they've had their regular medications as best obtained from digging up um, a health record, often from a prior hospital admission or whatever source they can get during emergency or the admission process. And if you go to them and say, oh, I've got your metoprolol, they're going, oh, actually my GP stopped that about three months ago, but there's been a gap in that record there. So I really wanted to pick up on that point of actually saying what the medication name is, because I've seen those so many times where 
patients actually said, oh, actually, which one? Oh, yeah, no, they changed that. Or, oh, yeah, I had a dose change of that recently. Or, no, the GP stopped that last week. And it hasn't integrated into the history. Absolutely. Exactly right. And and sometimes, you know, when we've got different brands of medications, if we talk in generic terms, then, uh, you know, and we have that conversation with the patient, I don't know all the brands. I mean, I've been doing this role so many, but, you know, out in the community, there'll be completely different brands to maybe what we've got in the hospital. You know, we may have a brand that they go home on in, in the hospital, but they've got a different one back at home or that's provided by the community pharmacist. So if they understand what those medications are when we're talking to them, you know, if we say, I've got your metoprolol, do you know what that's for? And we can have that conversation, then they'll know and they'll have better opportunities to be able to be compliant or understand why they need to be taking them rather than, oh, I don't think I need that today. It's not that important. Uh, and if they have that understanding, then we can educate. And as nurses, uh, pharmacists do that really well. But as nurses, we're the ones that are seeing them every day, giving them the medications, and we've got that great opportunity to be able to provide that information um, and uh, inform the patients so that when they go home, hopefully they're less likely to come back because they don't have that understanding of their medicines as well. And we don't want to set up bad habits in hospital, do we, where we make the patient completely passive, like here's your meds, take them, they don't understand what they're taking them, what time, what they can't have them with or without food, we want to be providing that education and empowering them to have agency over their own lives right from being inpatients, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, um, we, you know, there's situations where, you know, a patient may um, receive a, a subcutaneous injection, receiving insulin, not knowing what it is, and actually not diabetic, has someone else's chart. So if we engage in those, you know, those patients would know, hey, I'm not diabetic, um, why am I getting insulin? But they normally would get heparin or clexane for VTE prophylaxis during hospital. They, they wouldn't know that, what the difference is unless we're t um, talking to them about it and being clear. So your number three is a, to be aware of the risks and safety processes for medications. So what are they? It's important that we're aware of what are the risks um, that we're exposed to when we're managing medicines. So we can try and avoid those particular things. And we get a lot of that information from past incidents uh, and reported incidents. We have lessons learned from that. We've actually learned a lot from aviation as well over the years around safety, things like standardisation. Standardisation is key to uh, ensuring that we minimise the opportunities for error. If everyone's doing the same thing, then we're not having to learn different ways of doing it when we go to a different ward or a different hospital or a different state. And we're really fortunate here in Queensland that we have developed a lot of standardised medication safety charts. So the National Med Medication Chart actually stemmed from the Queensland Health one back in 2004 and it became a national chart in 2008. And every public and private hospital across Australia used that same form and it was based on errors and uh, and lots of audits to identify what was best practice um, and, and what prevented errors. So we've also got things like the um, IV heparin forms, the, the high-risk medicines, insulin charts, subcutaneous charts, IV fluid charts and electrolytes, um, and standardisation around um, how those should be prescribed and things like that and how they should be um, administered and used. And that all makes for a safer 
uh, practice environment when we're using best evidence. Anyone who's interested in doing a deeper dive around um, medication safety and incident reporting, have a look at Amy Edmondson's work um, in psychological safety. She essentially conducted her PhD work around responses to incident and the ways teams talked about errors and look particularly at medication incidents. So being open about mistakes, but ideally what we're looking at is learning from near misses rather than the coroner's report from a death due to a problematic heparin administration. And unfortunately, a lot of the big changes have been made historically around because of big adverse events. But yeah, really encouraging high rates of errors that didn't make it to the patient. They're the ones that are just gold for our teams to learn by rather than going, oh, we've had a spike in medication incidents. No, we've had a spike in people going, whoa, that was close. Yes, so um, a really important. So we do, when we look at those incidents, we have medication safety committees as well, um, which is another, uh, another strategy where you talk about um, what are the current trends and things. We do have to remember they're reported incidents, so that's really the tip of the iceberg that we're looking at there. And as you say, uh, you know, we want to learn from the lessons before they get to actually harm. We do know, unfortunately, though, that 3.5% will result in actually significant harm to the patient. And uh, and so fortunately, that's a small percentage, but it's still obviously significant. And we want to um, obviously try and avoid those. I guess we've talked a lot about the risks. What are some of the safe practices that we can do in, with regards to medication processes? So besides standardisation, keep things simple. You know, keep things simple and clear is one of my really key, key things. Things like making sure that the medication stays in its original packaging. So you can actually read the labels properly. You can read the expiry dates. Because if you pull out a foil and the expiry date's on one end and it's that end's been used, uh, you can't check those sorts of things. Uh, and that you know a foil you know um, strip can can look very similar to each other, but if you have it in the original packaging, um, hopefully that will avoid things being mixed up. Things like ampules are a great one for that because uh, they they can all look very similar. You can only have so many different colours of things and uh, and different variations, which they try and do. But brands of or, or company brands will all be the same colour, no matter what medication it is. They'll all look the same. Um, so it's uh, we can't rely on on look. We need to make sure that we're checking properly and uh, uh, using the original packaging certainly helps with that. Also a big thing that you mentioned was the nurse's importance in this. And I think a lot of nurses feel like safety is something that's done to them. This is a comment that I've had a lot is that rather than there's been this loss of sort of or maybe it hasn't just been built up that nurses are the agents of safety in their workplace and can have great ideas, not just about um, responding to a negative event, but actually having really good ideas. So like the storage example that we started, what we started talking about is if we've got two similar medications, storing them in different areas. So we an example we had in ICU is we'd have potassium ampules and high potassium phosphate ampules and if and by alphabetical order they'd be stored very close to one another but we uh, took the high potassium phosphate which were I think 25 millimoles of potassium in them and stored them in a cupboard that was near the um, near the schedule 8 drugs very separate from the others so it, it really reduced the likelihood of there being an error for the most commonly used 
ampule of potassium with something that was significantly higher concentration. Absolutely, and that that's one of the one of the key strategies. If it's not there, you can't make that mistake. And so that's a forcing function. What we talk we, we talk about is trying to uh, put in processes where there's forcing functions where it's not possible to happen. So we actually removed a lot of, you know, except for ICU where they still need to have potassium ampules. A number of years ago, 2014, we removed potassium ampules by replacing them with pre-mixed bags. So we didn't need to have the ampules on the ward. Uh, it could be mixed up with water or um, or saline ampules. Uh, we have pre-mixed bags now and so the nurse, they don't need to be made up. So that means that it eliminated it altogether but for key areas like your, your, like yours, this strategy was lock them up somewhere else so that they can't be, there can't be an error mixing them up. Yeah, and some of that's just that seeing the empowerment that we have in our, in our role to go, whenever we go to the medication cupboard and go, this is stupid yeah, it probably is, let's do something about it rather than every nurse that goes there for the same thing over two weeks going, this is stupid, this is unsafe, and then brackets afterwards, but someone else will do something about it, but the CNC will do something about it, but the, I'll shoot an email to the numb, no, like, let's just address this and actually put forward a solution. And I think that's that's that kind of revitalising of, of the bedside nurse of actually seeing that agency and safety going, why is there two different concentration prescriptions for something that we use one like so we had in icu an example of this where um, we had a potential prescription for 500 mics of fentanyl in 50 mils and a thousand mics of fentanyl in 50 mils the amount of times you go into the cupboard to get the 500 mic going oh i wish it was a double strength order we're having to change it all the time so you're increasing all of these extra steps in each of which has a potential for error so we're mixing up medications, we're actually introducing an extra step checking. So we ended up abolishing the 500 mics in 50 mils, which actually improved nursing workflow and has that compounding effect of you've got more time to put into attention on other things like checking all of your other high-risk medications you've got to give. So I think there's so many great unknown nursing-led changes that can still happen in your clinical area that I just using this as a bit of a podium to get on and go, just get out there and be an agent for safety. Yes, that's right. It's everyone's responsibility and and sharing those um, those lessons learned as well. Recently, uh, we reviewed all of the IV safety software in our pumps uh, across the hospital and that included intensive care and uh, cardiology and the general pumps and even the neonatal intensive care. And to streamline some of those things and to make to standardise them as much as possible across the hospital uh, so that when a patient was transferred from one area to another, we're not using different concentrations and then having to change lines and syringes and throw those drugs out and start again. IV safety software is, an, is one of the other safe strategies is that in those pumps, the drug library is there and you choose the drug and you can see that the medication is on on the screen so you know what drug is being given through which line but it also has a a um, it's called dose reduction error software where it'll won't allow you to put in an unsafe dose so if you went to put in 4000 milligrams for something and 400 milligrams was the the safe uh, uh, normal dose it wouldn't let you do it so it's mandatory that people use the that IV safety software 
to prevent the opportunity for wrong dose errors. Uh, so that's uh, certainly a strategy. And we also try and standardise that across the state. Uh, and we started with that. Sometimes you, you need to add additional things, but for the most part, we try and standardise those. And that will help with patient transfers between facilities also. So your number four is the important role of the multidisciplinary team in medication safety. Can you talk to us about who who is in that team and what's, what's everybody's role? Yes. So in managing medicines, there's a lot of people involved. Um, first of all, clearly the patient's central to that uh, and the patient's family and carers uh, are, are part of that as well. Prescribers need to prescribe the medicine. Pharmacists, uh, they often get the medication history and uh, confirm the medication history from the patient, the GP, the community pharmacy to actually see, as you were talking about before, Jess, uh, that what is um, uh, making sure that we've actually got what they're, they're currently taking, not what they may have taken, you know, on the last admission even, even if it's only a few weeks ago, you know, the GP may have stopped something or whatever. Um, so there's also the GP um, and the community that are part of the part of the team and of course the nurses. <laughs> Each one of those is obviously important and, and uh, valuable. The patients get home and they're actually not taking something because they may not be able to afford it or they don't understand. That can be really important as well in identifying that they actually, you know, what are they actually taking? So that's some of the things that the pharmacists will do. Also we have when it's dispensed uh, and making sure that it is dispensed uh, that's actually received. Sometimes it's sent to the ward and the nurses don't know it's actually arrived uh, and uh, so medications can be missed. And um, when transferring between areas, um, uh, some a patient individual medications may not be transferred with them and left behind as well. About all of them um, coming together uh, to, to get a complete history of what actually the patient um, is on, what they should be on, what they are taking and what they should be continuing to take um, either during their admission or when they go home because something that they may start may not necessarily mean that they um, need to stay on it um, even when they're discharged. really like that because it touches on something that um, is being talked more and more about as a feature of high-performing teams and this cross-monitoring of each other's performance or essentially cross-monitoring for safety. One team member or um, constituent of the multidisciplinary team that we often don't formalise when we're talking about that is the operational staff. I've been really fortunate to work in places where the difference between, say, an, a pharmacy assistant, uh, one of the wardies who's brought the medications and actually told someone rather than just putting them in the bucket where they usually go or putting them in the spot where they really usually go and it's that prompting and cross-monitoring of performance that's just so – it can make such a difference. That can make the difference between a patient getting that medication – like now or in two hours' time sometimes, but by, by the time someone's habits or loops or rounds have gone back to, oh, yeah, those meds that I've got to chase them up, oh, they're in, the, they're in the tub, but they've been there for two hours. So that was just, yeah, something I think we often forget about or just don't formalise those people into the team around medica or around safety in general. Yeah, exactly, and that comes back to the, the whole core component, isn't it, around communication uh, and, uh, and it's, you know, the best done verbally, you know, making sure we actually do talk to each other uh, instead of, like you say, just putting it into the, um, 
into the box and the container. And that goes down to also ward rounds and things like that. You know, nurses uh, being available and being on the ward round to see what's actually happening with the patient's medications, what is uh, how they're responding to them. It's so we've got such a wealth of knowledge about the you know, how it's affecting the patient, um, their response to that. You know, whether they're appearance are working, whether their pain relief is working. There's some of the things that the medical staff may not know when they're not actually with the patient every day like the nurses are. And we know also from uh, studies as well and here at the Royal is that changes of medications on those rounds, around 20% actually don't get end up getting prescribed onto the chart or changed after the round and may not happen if the nurses are involved in those conversations, then they can be a, a conduit and a prompt to ensure that those things can happen as well. So it's really a, so much about teamwork and working together and making sure that we we do all work together and remind and prompt. Okay, so your number five is really about drawing this all together, kind of restating what we've always, already said, and that is medication is everyone's business and we all have individual accountability for that. So this is, uh, this is where my PhD came in. So one of my statements that each of us is, is accountable for our own practice uh, and the patient outcomes that ensue from that. With our national standards, it says that we need to ensure we've got competent clinicians, but they don't actually tell us how to do that. And with nurses, there's not a standard way that we assess nurses' practice and ensure that they're doing all the, the points that they require for safe practice, or everything we've talked about really already, and when we're giving medications. So I developed a tool in conjunction with pharmacy and medical staff to assess nurses' practice. The nurses to self-assess against what are the best practice standards giving the giving medications. So in Queensland Health, we have the six rights of medication uh, practice, and, and that is that we've got the right patient, the right drug, the right dose, the right route, and the right time, and also the right to refuse if it's not clear, correct prescription. Then we've got the procedural steps. So we need to make sure that we're administering it correctly. We're using the IV safety software, that we're diluting it in the right strength, that we're administering it at the right rate and um, that we're washing our hands using our five moments of hand hygiene, that we're using an aseptic technique when we're giving our IV medications, that we're documenting it, uh, that we're signing that we've given it so that our colleagues know that it's been administered, that we're not documenting before uh, we've actually administered it and it looks like they've received it but in fact uh, they don't actually get or take that medication. So that then leads to omissions. A key component of, of it as well is engaging with the patient like I've, uh, like I've said previously about making sure we use open questions, we're using open questions about what they're allergic to and that in making sure that they understand what their medicines are. So they're really important steps. So what we're looking to do is give nurses the opportunity at least once a year to reflect on what are best practice, be observed administering medications to the patient that they're looking after for that day, and then have a discussion and feedback about what they're doing well, but where are there any potential opportunities that it may not be as safe as what it could be, 
and that these are the things that they can do going forward to prevent an opportunity for error. Pharmacists do this already, um, do this assessment um, on an annual basis and prescribers are looking to do the same. This is where my PhD is and my postdoctoral research is in implementing this across the whole of Metro North and statewide and nationally as well. So essentially what you're saying is is that all of us need to practice to keep perfect and I guess it's because we can create habits or shortcuts that we're not even aware of that may increase the potential for error. So what you're suggesting is, you know, create a reflective space every year where someone's observing your medication practice so that we can understand what we're doing well and then understand where there are any potential risks and then perfect that practice. Absolutely, because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's an opportunity for to identify that. Um, there may be um, procedures that have come out when we've been on leave uh, and we come back and we've missed those and we don't know that something's changed uh, or, um, or had that opportunity. And unfortunately, uh, we do this sort of thing with new starters uh, into the organisation and students but someone that's been here for 20 years may never get told what you know um, what they're doing well and where there's opportunities for improvement. And it's those staff as well that are teaching and role modelling for the new start, new starters and the students. And if we're teaching them the wrong thing, then we're perpetuating the problem um, ongoing. Okay, perfect. So now I have the very... Um arduous task of trying to summarise all this fantastic information around medication safety. So your number one was the importance on communicating about medication both verbally and written. And a big part of this is that you were saying it's not enough to give a verbal order. It's really important that medications are documented with clarity, um, that they're documented correctly and concisely and it has to be legible. And this has to happen even when there's a medical emergency. And you talked about particularly being wary of using abbreviations in case we don't have a shared mental model of what that abbreviation means. You said that it's got to be a clear transaction and that's not always just me saying something something and someone hearing it, you know, and it's the importance of getting two nurses to listen. And I think Jesse made the point about not cognitively priming your partner for what you're saying. So if you want them to check a medication, you don't say, here, can you check that I have two Panadol here? And then they glance something, you say, can you check my medications? And then they say to you, is this two Panadol? And you say, yes. Is that correct? That's correct. And importantly, you were saying that 30% of all deaths from medication occur because the patient never received it, that something has fallen down in our system so that we need, really need to be very mindful um, that we follow through with any prescribed orders, uh, that we double check that things have been given and that one of the other risk, written risks is around computers to always double check that you've actually got the right patient's page open before you prescribe anything and that 65% of all patients don't have their identification checked properly. Your number two is the importance of involving the patient as a core medic member of the medication safety team. And this was all about uh, patients really need to be empowered to have knowledge about their medications. We don't want them to be passive patients. We want them to be aware of what medications they're on, what for, 
what time of the day they have uh, and if there's any rules or orders about that and we want them to be independent. You stated that patients over 65 years of age, 20 to 30% of this age group get readmitted because there's been issues with their medication, either not taking their meds or taking too much of something. We need to use open communication where we're not just giving a yes, no response from our patients, but we're giving them the opportunity to respond in a way that we actually know that they've understood and agreeing with what we are doing. And we need to be aware that lots of patients, particularly over the age of 65, can have hearing issues. We've just done a podcast on hearing. Um, And so we need to check that if they've got a hearing aid or device so that it's in when we're speaking to them about medications and how important it is to check each time around allergies and around using proper names because patients, as anyone, can get very confused by the different brand names with medications. Your number three is the awareness of the risks of and safety processes for medications. So let's start with risk. You spoke to us about how important it is for us to understand risk and that includes near misses and the importance of us reporting all incidents as a way to learn lessons and identify any trends in potential errors so that we can actually change systems and processes. You spoke about how important it is to standardise what we're doing um, as a way to minimise error and that standardisation for prescribing and administrating medications is extremely important. That 3.5% of medical error results in severe harm for patients. So this is a very important area. You said keep things very simple and clear and keep meds in their original packages Uh, so that we can check expiry dates and we can check information and facts about that. Jesse made the important point about not storing similar medications in the same place where error can really easily occur and you said to make sure that we always use our IV safe software. Your number four was the role of the multidisciplinary team in medications and we want to start, as we've previously said, with the patient and their family and carer as real core knowledge around medications. And then we move to our prescribers, our GPs, of course our nurses and the pharmacists. Each one of these people has a really important role to play and we need to understand what the patient understands about medication and the dispensing of it. The whole team has a responsibility to understand the complete history of the patient and their medication, what they should be taking and what they shouldn't be taking. And you spoke about, you know, even from a week's admission that medications can change, things can uh, occur and that we need to check. And I think you gave the stat that 20% of changes of medication that occur on ward rounds don't actually ever happen. And the importance that the nurse has of being involved in those ward rounds, being part of the documentation and the follow-up and just even being able to talk to the whole multidisciplinary team about how the medications are working for the patient. And finally, you spoke to us about why medication is everyone's business and individual accountability. And you spoke to us about, you know, some of your PhD findings. So first of all, we want to make sure that we've got competent clinicians um, who who know what they're doing. And you said that competency is a really important um, part of giving medications, but it's quite hard for us to assess who is competent and who isn't. 
So we start with our six rights of medication, that it's the right patient, the right drug, the right dose, the right route and the right time. And then we move to our procedural steps where we're administering properly, we're um, complying with our hand washings, uh, that it's sterile, that we're documenting carefully, that we're signing the drug off and that the patient actually receives it. And the importance of engaging that patient in all of those steps. And what we want to do is, I guess, what your PhD finding was, it's really important, like the pharmacist, that every year the nurses have an opportunity to reflect or be observed in their practice to understand what they're doing exceptionally well and to build on that and to notice if there are any challenges or changes that would help make um, medication safety be improved. How did I go? That's great. Thank you, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot of pressure today. Great summary. (laughs) Karen, thank you so very much for joining us today on Five Things. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at Liz Crow 2 and for me it's inject underscore orange we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts ideas or feedback thanks for listening to five things 